You're listening to Deliberate Living, a podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a full-time nomad and writer who has been living in my 1997 Ford van since January 1st of 2019. I travel the United States with my dog, learning how to live with more authenticity. I explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms, finding freedom and happiness however they choose. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and this week I'm going to be addressing four of the most frequently asked questions that I have received since even talking about starting van life, much less actually living in my van for the past two years. These are questions that are asked all of the time, and I mean, pretty much I get asked everything eventually. These are just the most common questions. Um, and sometimes people are kind of embarrassed to like ask these questions because they're a little bit personal. Um, but that is that which is most personal is also most universal, right? Um, so I'm open for questions all the time and you really can't ask me anything that I haven't already been asked. But like I said, these are the four most common questions that I've gotten. The nitty gritty, the honest, the embarrassing, <laughs> that everyone wants to know about whether they're considering living in a van or not. These are just basic curiosities that we all have, right? And so the first question is, if you hadn't guessed already, how do you use the bathroom? And this one always makes me laugh because it makes people uncomfortable to ask. And as <laughs> as a lot of my van life friends and I kind of laugh about all the time, like vanners talk about poop on the daily. We are always talking about poop. And we're always talking about bathrooms, and we've all had mistakes that have happened with our bathroom situations. And it's just kind of normal to us now, but it's not necessarily normal in like a sticks and bricks kind of community. So some people who ask who've never lived in a van get a little like squeamish and a little embarrassed. But um, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. We all poop. We all pee. We all have to figure it out. And... um, Yeah, so my bathroom setup has changed over the years, at least for solids. My liquids have stayed pretty much the same since the very beginning. For liquids, I use an old lemonade bottle and a funnel that is specifically made for women to use to pee standing up. I don't necessarily use it standing. I use it in kind of an awkward squat position, but it works for me. There are a few different products for women to use uh, when they urinate standing up. Um, they basically come in two different shapes. One of them is kind of a funnel that goes straight down, and one of them is kind of like a water slide that just goes out and away from you. And I have decided to use the funnel because then I can use it in the van and, like, actually aim and make sure that all the liquids get into that bottle that I want it to be in and not just, like, out randomly somewhere else in the van. The water slide one I think is really good for like outdoor activities, for like hiking or something. If you don't want to have to drop trow and pop a squat, you know, every time you have to pee, the uh, water slide one will just get it like away from your body. I don't have a lot of practice with that one, to be honest with you, but I really like the funnel that I do have and use. And I will link to that in the show notes as well, in case that's something that you're looking into purchasing for your own van excursions. For solids, though, my system has evolved. Um, Initially, when I first moved into the van, I bought a five-gallon bucket and a luggable loo toilet lid that just kind of, like, clicks on top of it, along with some, like, toilet-specific bags, 
to go inside and some garden core, I believe that's how it's pronounced, uh, to cover up the smell and absorb and all of that. I had that for like probably a year and a half and I didn't really use it very often and it took up a ton of space in the van. A five gallon bucket is pretty freaking huge. Um, and so because I wasn't using it very often and it took up so much space, I decided to downsize, but I still wanted some kind of like structure, some kind of can <laughs> to use to like hold up the bag and all of that. And so I just downsized to a little paint can, just like a little metal unlabeled, unused, totally clean paint can. Um, and I would use smaller bags, uh, like grocery bags or dog bags or like the recycling the bags from like a pack of tortillas or something like that. Um, again, along with like the core and everything else. And then I kind of stopped using that entirely as well. Um, and now I just kind of squat and hold the bag where it needs to be underneath me. And that works just fine. And it doesn't take up any space at all. <laughs> um, and just to be clear, both of these methods for solids and liquids are kind of last-ditch efforts. I do prefer to go outside when possible and, you know, to urinate and defecate outside. The big thing here being that you do it properly if that's something that you're going to experiment with. If you're going to be out in the wilderness and you don't want to have a, a toilet situation um, inside your rig. If you're going to go pee outside, go pee outside. If you're a lady, wipe, but you have to pack out your toilet paper. You can't just leave it like floating in the breeze um, or, you know, getting attached to bushes or, you know, otherwise being out in nature, it doesn't degrade. Toilet paper really does not degrade. And there's no such thing as a poop fairy or a toilet paper fairy. No one's just going to come pick it up for you. And like I said, it doesn't degrade. Some people have this belief that like toilet paper just dissolves so easily. It's like cotton candy. And like as soon as it rains, it'll be gone. And that's just not true at all. So you have to pack out your toilet paper. And I know it's gross and it's not something that people are very familiar with. And we really don't want to do it, especially if we're not familiar with like being in the outdoors a lot, it might seem a little weird if you're just like going for a hike and you have to pack out your toilet paper, but really you have to pack out your toilet paper. Bring yourself a little Ziploc baggie or something, put it in there, take it out with you, just pop it in the trash, but don't leave it out in the wilderness. And this goes for pooping too. You have to dig a hole at least six inches deep, the deeper the better. Um, do your business, cover up the hole if possible, put maybe some rocks on top of it so the dogs don't get into it. Because, yeah, dogs will go and dig that shit up. Literally, they will do it. Um, and then, yeah, pack out your toilet paper. So that's my PSA for this question. The next most frequently asked question I get is about my showering, how I shower. And I talk about this a little bit in my van tour video, which I will link below as well. Um, but my showering system has changed over the years as well. Um, partially because of the pandemic and partially because the gear that I use um, has broken. So I'm coming up with new systems. But pre-pandemic um, and hopefully post-pandemic, I would often go to gyms or rec centers, uh, the occasional truck stop, friends' houses, some laundromats have showers in them, etc. Um, but most of these are closed now, so I've had to like dial in on my like wild showering systems. For my body, I use a lot of baby wipes and will like occasionally do a sponge bath if it makes sense. Um, if it's not freezing outside and I have a body of water nearby, I'll 
dip myself in in that take a little splash i'm kind of a wimp when it comes to cold water though so i'm not very good at uh at doing like a river bath <laughs> and again if you're gonna do a river bath or anything like that don't use products even like dr bronner's isn't meant to be used like in water or like that close to water but that's like a that's a separate psa i'll talk to i'll talk about later but um yeah my body is pretty easy a lot of baby wipes and sponge baths if I can't get into a real like running water shower. My hair is a different issue. Um, because I have a lot of hair, and by a lot, I mean that it's like really long, but I don't have a lot of it. It's not very thick. It's pretty fine. Um, but because I have a lot of it, because it's so long, washing my hair becomes its own process. I don't usually wash my hair and my body at the same time, unless I'm in like a running water shower where it makes a lot more sense. Um, and everyone's hair is different, right? So thick hair, curly hair, more dry, more oily, whatever. Everyone's hair is going to need different systems. So I figured out what works for me and please give it a try. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't keep experimenting, something out there will work for you. Um, but this is what mostly works for me. Um, I used to have a solar shower bag that I would use to wash my hair. And that's basically like a black plastic bag. It's black on one side. It's clear on the other. You lay it out in the sun. It heats up the water. It has a little hose coming out of it. So it's kind of like a gravity fed system. Um, and I would hang that on the van outside and like have my hair over a bucket. And like, it was a really awkward position to be in, but it worked. And I had the water above my head where it needs to be. But that recently broke and I haven't been able to find a replacement. So um, I have been experimenting with other solutions to get my hair washed. Currently, um, I'm just using like a big bowl um, underneath my hair again to catch the water and then using a cup to like run it over my head. If you've ever done like a sink shower, like... When I was a kid, we would do this more often. I'm not really sure why. But you just put your hair in a sink and, like, wash your hair with, like, a cup. Um, and that's kind of what I'm doing these days. It's not a perfect system. Um, but it's what I got right now. For shampoo, I use baking soda. And for conditioner, I use apple cider vinegar. And then a store-bought leave-in conditioner as well. So, basically, I just get my hair all wet. I sprinkle in the baking soda. Um, and I massage it in. And then rinse it off. Not exactly to the best of my ability, but to a medium level of ability. And then I'll pour the apple cider vinegar all over my head. Um, and sometimes it'll interact with the baking soda that's still in there and it'll bubble and stuff. And that feels kind of cool. Um, I think it's getting it more clean. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and then I try to run the apple cider vinegar through my hair multiple times before doing my final rinse. And then in that final rinse, I will try and get it as clean as possible. But again, I'm using less than a gallon of water for this whole process. Um, and I switch out the water maybe once in that process. So like I'll have water in a bowl. I'll rinse it over my head. The same water is in the bowl when I pour the baking soda over it. I'll use the same water to like rinse the baking soda out. And then I'll pour that out and then do the, the apple cider vinegar. Um, and then do the water after that. So I'm only using definitely less than a gallon of water for the entire process right now. Um, so anyway, after I get the apple cider vinegar out of my hair, uh, I'll let it dry for just a smidge while I clean up and put everything away. And then I'll add my leave-in conditioner. 
and that seems to work pretty all right. Um, I use baking soda and apple cider vinegar because it has a very little impact on the environment. So when I pour it out, when I'm done using it, or if some of it like splashes onto the ground um, in the middle of my shower, I don't worry about it, you know, putting chemicals into the ground. Um, you know, and even the most natural eco-friendly shampoos and conditioners, like I said earlier, Dr. Bronner's is a really popular one, but even that can still be really harmful to the environment if not disposed of properly. So even with something like Dr. Bronner's, just an aside, if you're going to use it to wash your dishes or wash your hair or wash something else, you really need to dilute it in a bunch of water. And when you go to pour it out, when you're done with it, you really should dig a hole, um, you know, 200 yards from the closest water source and pour the, the Dr. Bronner's or whatever water in that and then fill it back up. You don't just want to be splashing like soap water on the ground or shampoo water or conditioner water on the ground. So I do have actual shampoos and conditioners, but I only use them when I'm in a house that has like a drain that will take the water to like a water treatment facility. Um, I don't use them out in the wilderness. If you want to uh, be able to use those products out in the wilderness and have as minimal impact as possible, I do know some vanners will collect, you know, all of the water that they use from showering in their tubs and then they'll like lay it out on a tarp or they'll leave the tub out in the sun until the water evaporates and then the chemicals themselves mostly stay in the tub and they can wash that separately. So it's an option. The third most common question I get is about cost, um, how much it costs to live in a van. And again, this is one of those things that, you know, we talk a lot about, um, but money is a taboo subject. And so it's it makes people a little squeamish, a little embarrassed. Um, but also, like, it's it's a very curious thing. It's a totally different lifestyle. And you can see online that some people are doing it lavishly and some people are doing it on a shoestring. And there's not a right way or a wrong way to do it. Um, so as with everything else, like, this will differ for everyone, how much it costs to live in a van. So I'm only going to speak from my personal experience uh, in the podcast most of my guests will talk about how much it costs them to live in their vans. So if you're curious about how different people are affording a nomadic lifestyle um, of this kind, then I highly recommend you go find a guest or two or three who uh, are living a lifestyle that looks interesting to you and see what they have to say as far as the cost goes. Um, but for me personally, my costs per month vary quite a bit. Um, I can live on very little or on quite a bit more. It kind of comes down to how much traveling I'm doing, um, what I'm filling my time with, and whether there are any like surprise trips to the mechanic. Um, I have a blog post on my website that I will link to in the show notes that I outline uh, more of my monthly van expenses like line by line. Um, that goes into a lot more detail, but ultimately my lifestyle for living in the van specifically costs somewhere between about $400 and $1,200 each month um, on average. Some months it's more and it's not often less. I think $400 is kind of as low as I can go personally. So this $400 to $1,200 includes gas, car insurance, renter's insurance, oil changes, van maintenance, my phone plan, my hotspot plan, 
Um, and then like gym memberships, basically. Um, it does not include groceries. It does not include health insurance. Um, it doesn't include expenses for the pet, the dog, Lisa. Uh, it doesn't include my mortgage or my home insurance. Um, it doesn't include anything business related. So that doesn't include the expenses that go into making the podcast or maintaining YouTube or doing any marketing or having my website or anything like that. Um, the 400 to 1200 is specifically van living for me. Um, and your expenses might differ. You might want to be in campgrounds more often. And so that will change your monthly expenses because campgrounds cost money. And I don't live in campgrounds that cost money. I live on BLM and national forests and state trust lands. Um, state trust permits do have a cost depending on what state you're in. The costs vary. I'm in Arizona right now. And the Arizona state trust permit, I think is like $13 or something. It's very cheap. And that money goes to the uh, Arizona education system, which is really cool. But that is an aside. Um, so you, your van expenses, your vehicle expenses might include campgrounds or like the need of dump stations, which are sometimes free and sometimes cost. Um, you might want additional streaming services. Uh, I use my parents' Netflix, like most people I know, um, and all of that. Uh, you might also have some prescriptions or something of that sort that would add to your monthly bills that I don't personally have right now. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, if you're considering making a transition into uh, living more minimally or living mobily or any of that, I would recommend that you start trying to live on less now. No harm can really come of it. If you still have like a house and a lease and, you know, whatever else, it doesn't hurt to try and live on less now. Um, you're still going to have whatever expenses you have. But if you can cut down on, um, you know, unnecessary expenses or like even put some money into savings for those vehicle maintenance costs, um, that would be great. So you might as well just start experimenting with all of that. And as I said before, your mileage may vary. You may need to spend more or less on certain things. I might spend more on having both a phone plan and a hotspot plan than most people do. I know a lot of people don't do both of those. I do both of those because it makes sense for me. So the fourth and final question for this podcast episode is one that rubs me the wrong way every time, but it's not your fault that you're asking. Uh, and that is, aren't you scared? Or are you scared? Or how do you stay safe? Or things of that nature. And I hate that this question is asked so frequently of women travelers specifically. When was the last time you asked a man if he was afraid? I'll wait. I'm going to guess probably never. I hate that society makes this a reasonable ask. And I hate that I have to think about my safety more than other road people just because I'm a woman. That said, this is kind of the reality that we're living with, and I'm going to get asked this question multiple times. So even if I don't want to think about it, I have to have an answer for it. Um, so short answer, of course, I get scared sometimes. I'm a human being. We all get scared. Everybody, even the men that you don't ask if they get scared, they get scared. It happens. 
I do take precautions to make sure that I'm as safe as I can be. And no, I won't tell you whether I have certain weapons or defense mechanisms in my vehicle because it's not safe for me to divulge this information regardless of what the answers are, right? Like if you ask me if I have a gun and I say, yes, I have a gun. And then you're like, all right, well, I'm going to go attack her later. And I know she has a gun. So I'm going to be prepared for that. Like that doesn't help. Or if I don't have a gun, it doesn't help me to say I don't have a gun. Like it doesn't help. So I'm not going to tell you what defense mechanisms I have in the van, except that I have a dog and she has a great security system. But I will tell you that I trust my gut um, pretty significantly. If I pull into a spot for the night and I get a bad vibe, I leave. It's not a big deal. I'll go find someplace else. I don't like driving at night, but I will drive all night long if I can't find a safe place for me to sleep. Personally, I'm more afraid of other humans than I am of any kind of wildlife. And I know that this question comes up quite a bit, um, whether people feel safer in cities or whether they feel safer in the wilderness, whether, you know, they're afraid of like wolves or bears or coyotes or whatever. Um, and everybody has a different answer. Um, and again, some of my previous podcast guests and I will talk about this. Uh, I remember talking um, with Hillary Bird specifically about uh, camping and whether we like camping in cities or in the wilderness. And she and I have differing opinions on that. And it was really funny to encounter that in the in the interview. But um, I'm more afraid of other people than I am of wildlife. Wildlife don't bother me. Bears don't bother me. Wolves are not really a thing, even when I was in like an area where wolves actually are. Um, coyotes don't bother me except that I know that they hunt in packs and my dog is off leash a lot, but like, I'm not afraid of my own safety when it comes to, uh, wildlife at all. I'm more wary of like the rando at the campsite over who can see that it's just me and the dog in the van. You know what I mean? So if I'm camping in a spot where other people can see me, it does kind of limit my outside time because I don't necessarily want them to know that it's just me and the dog in the van. They don't need to know that. Like I said before, the dog is a great security system. Uh, she has a really, really big bark and she will protect me from, from most dangers. She's definitely done it before. She has definitely done her job as a protector before um, in our 12 and a half years together. One of the best things is that she will alert me if there's something worth paying attention to. So often, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night because like, I think I heard something. And if she doesn't wake up or anything, I'm like, oh, you didn't hear anything. <laughs> Everything is fine. But if I wake up in the middle of the night because I thought I heard something and she's also like awake and alert, then I know to be like more awake and more alert. And she'll definitely sound the alarm if someone gets too close, whether they're in a car or on foot or on a bike or whatever. She'll let me know when other people are around. Uh, as far as safety goes, I also make sure that I park such that I can make a swift exit if I need to. Um, I try not to like trap myself in, uh, in campsites. I want to make sure that I have an exit. I leave my keys in like one of two spots so that I always know where they are if I need to use them right away. I allow certain members of my friend and family groups to have my GPS location on Google Maps at all times. And I don't share the specifics of where I am or where I'm planning to go with strangers, um, including like the internet at large. If I know I'm going to be heading to Arizona for the winter, I will say I'm heading to Arizona for the winter. But I won't necessarily be like, I'm going to camp in this specific spot on this BLM land in this part of Arizona. Like I don't really share that with, uh, with strangers. But if one of my friends is going to be coming through and I want them to know where I am, yeah, I'll share my location. Or if I want to like meet up with somebody and, you know, go climbing or whatever, I'll, I'll share. But 
as far as like keeping myself safe, I don't need the whole world knowing where I am all the time. Other aspects of safety come down to, you know, what happens if something breaks in the van, if I can't drive anywhere. Um, so I had AAA for the first year I was in a van. I haven't had it for the second year, and that has worked out so far, knock on wood. I did get a flat tire earlier this year, so I learned how to change the tire on my van in the moment, which uh, I kind of figured was going to happen eventually. Um, but, yeah, knowing some basic vehicle maintenance and repair, like changing a tire or putting chains on for the snow or knowing how to jump a dead battery, etc. Those will also help keep you safe. Um, potentially like prioritizing camping in areas where there's cell service so that you can call if something goes wrong is another option. I usually camp in areas where there's cell service anyway for work and just because I prefer to be in service but I have a lot of friends who prefer to be completely off-grid and out of service and not tethered to their phones, um, and they just have to be more aware of their vehicle's quirks and uh, potential mishaps. So those are the four most frequently asked questions I get about my time in the van. If you have additional questions, please feel free to send them my way. Um, I might put them in a future uh, listener Q&A episode as well. Um, but if you've gotten something out of this episode, please like it, share it with the people who need to hear it, give it five stars or whatever the rating system is on the platform that you are consuming this on. That does help us get seen by more people, and I really want this information to be available to as many people as possible, all the people who need it. If you got value out of this podcast or out of anything that I've produced and you want to help offset some of the costs of producing it, I have a Venmo and a PayPal set up as well. And next week, we have a really excellent interview with my friend Ed, so I hope you'll tune in for that. And I hope you guys are enjoying the last bits of 2020, and we're going to wrap this year up and uh, start 2021 fresh. So as always, thank you for watching, listening, reading, and tune in next week. Bye. We've reached the end of this episode of Deliberate Living. You can find the show notes and everything we referenced over on my website, and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on YouTube or sign up for email updates every time something new is published. I'll see you next time on Deliberate Living, and until then, keep your life on the DL too.